would be transformed because of this encounter with you and with your holy word. Thank you for each one here and for our children downstairs and in the nursery. Thank you for those who minister in those programs, Lord. And we pray today that all of us would grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now I pray, Lord, that as we enjoy the freedom in this country to meet together and worship, we do pray for those in other places around the world who are under persecution and oppression because of their faith. And we pray that they would have great perseverance and the reminder that you are the almighty God and you are watching over them. And Lord, we thank you for the privileges we enjoy here. Thank you for this word in our own language. And we thank you for uh, blessing us with that. We do pray for our president, others in leadership, Lord, that they would have a heart to seek your wisdom as they continue to lead this country. And Lord, we thank you for military men and women around the world. And as they are separated from loved ones over this Christmas uh, holiday, Lord, we pray for them especially those who are believers, that they would have a, a firm and a steady testimony of your grace in their lives. We thank you for today and for this uh, word that you have for us today, for it's in Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. As you take your copy of God's word, I'll read uh, a greater portion of this passage to set the context for us as we continue our study uh, with the letter of Ephesians. If you're able to stand as an act of worship for the reading of God's word, would you please do so? And we'll begin in chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 of the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that so, that, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance, so that in him himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Heavenly Father, we pray now that your spirit would teach us today through this passage. And I pray that you make my, my words clear. And Lord, that we would understand what you have for us today. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I once, a um, long time ago, uh, wanted to... Uh, Charles Schultz's Peanuts cartoons. I remember the comic strip, and in that comic strip, uh, Lucy, the character Lucy, was talking to Charlie Brown, the little, he looked like a little bald-headed little guy. He said, uh, she told him, I hate everything, I hate everybody, I hate the whole wide world. And Charlie Brown was a little shocked in this comic strip, and he said to her, I thought you had inner peace. And Lucy replied, I do have inner peace, but I still have a lot of outer obnoxiousness. And, uh, you know, peace seems like an elusive uh, concept in our world today, doesn't it? And it's been that way for many, many generations, obviously. 
Uh, this week I was reading and reminded of uh, the miners who were trapped in Chile about uh, seven, eight years ago. I think it was in 2010. I don't know if you remember that episode, but there were 33 men. They were gold miners trapped in a mine because of a cave-in, and they were almost two and a half miles under the surface of the earth. And they were down there uh, for 69 days in a room, as I read about it, about 500 square feet. It was like an emergency place where they went uh, for, uh, to, to get out of the way of the cave-in. And they spent 69 days together, these 33 men down there. The official uh, documentary of that, the book that was written, is written by Hector Tobar. And the title of it is Deep Down Dark, Deep Down Dark. And he relates what happened down there. They ran out of food. They were discovered finally after about nine days when their food was starting to run out. Uh, there had been uh, holes drilled to try to find them. And uh, they came face to face with death and, of course, imminent danger. And in the midst of all of that, they took great stock of their lives. And Hector Tobar, the author, writes about some of those things. And someone asked Jose Henrique, as a Christian, if he would pray for everyone. And so he got down on his knees, according to this book, and some other men joined him, and he began to talk to God down there. And he would say, and this is quoting his prayer, We aren't the best men, Lord, but have pity on us. He actually got more specific, and he started naming names of his uh, comrades there who were trapped. He said, Victor Segovia knows that he drinks too much. Victor Zamora is too quick to anger. Pedro Cortez thinks about the poor father he's been to his young daughter. Nobody objected, the author goes on to write. It was the beginning of something special. In the deep down dark, buried under the earth with death staring him in the face, the men got real before God and before each other. They met every day to eat a meager meal, to hear a short sermon, then get on their knees to pray. And they would pray like this, God, forgive me for the violence of my voice before my wife and my son, or God, forgive me for abusing the temple of my body with drugs. And they confessed to each other too, I'm sorry I raised my voice, or I'm sorry I didn't get uh, the water for you, and so on. And there's nothing like being at the end of your very sufficiency, the end of your rope, metaphorically, to get you to get what is real in life. You know, God knew and God knows that the whole world has a deep down dark place. In fact, traveling back to the first century on the first Christmas Eve, the world was in deep down dark. There was peace, of course, but it was an enforced peace by the Roman Empire. There was not true peace in the Roman Empire at that time, just an enforced peace. And God knows that people cannot make it on our own. We are in our own deep down dark places and we cannot find our way up to him. And that's why this letter to the book of Ephes- in the book of Ephesians is so important and why Jesus came at Christmas and what he brings to us. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the Apostle Paul is talking about who we used to be. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this applies to all of us. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. We don't like to think of those things. We like to think that we're somehow, somehow pretty good people, but yet God tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in verse 12, one of those verses I read, he tells us to remember that at one that time we were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Deep down dark place is what this is reflecting of. 
I was also reading about our uh, famous uh, business in around the world now, Amazon.com. And uh, did you know that Amazon keeps track of how you highlight electronic books you buy from them? When you buy an electronic book, if you're into e-books on your tablet or your phone and you read e-books, uh, you can uh, highlight sentences in your e-book when you get them. Amazon released a list of the most popular passages in some of its best-selling books, such as the book series The Hunger Games, the Harry Potter series, Pride and the Prejudice, and it also released the most highlighted passage in the Bible. And uh, we might think that, and in fact, I expected that it would probably be John 3.16 or Psalm 23 or the Lord's Prayer, perhaps, in Matthew chapter 6. But no, it was a less prominent text, and it's one that's uh, striking a deep chord in today's anxious-filled world, in a world that lacks the peace that we really desire. And it was Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, which reads this, reads this way. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And uh, Amazon is known to quantify all sorts of things. I didn't know they quantified how we highlight an e-book. You know, peace seems like an elusive characteristic, and yet for the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is one of the rich possessions that we have. You know, 700 years before the first Christmas, 700 years before the first Advent, the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, the great uh, missionary prophet Isaiah wrote these words in chapter 9 of his book, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Of course, Isaiah, the prophet, was looking forward to the establishment of of a literal throne of the Messiah in Jerusalem in some time future. And that's what this is talking about. But he is the Prince of Peace. And then in uh, the, Larry's uh, great rendition of Luke chapter 2, uh, Luke tells us that that angel chorus that night of Jesus' birth said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is well pleased. And here the Apostle Paul tells us he is our peace. He's telling us that Jesus is the foundational aspect of peace. And in the context here, he's talking about Jewish and Gentile peoples. And there was an enmity there. There was a, a, an adversity there which exists to this day as we look at the problems in the Middle East and around the world and the anti-Semitism that seems to go no matter what generation and what place we go to. And you know what? Uh, he is telling us that Jesus is the ground of peace for both Jews and Gentiles. He's building a case that the church is going to be one. It's actually going to be a third race, neither Jewish nor Gentile, but Christian. And that's what he is talking about here. It's being established. Jews could never earn peace with God through their rituals, through temple worship, through their sacrifices, their, or their attempts at keeping the law. Regardless of what Jewish people did, they would still be sinners in his sight. But the bad news is that so are, by the same token, Gentiles. There's no way to even approach God, as it told us. We had no hope of securing peace with God and through any means. If you notice in this passage from verses 13 through 18, he uses the word peace four times. In verse 14, he himself is our peace, Paul says, speaking of Christ. 
Verse 15, he has established speak peace against speaking of Christ. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, talking about Jewish and Gentiles together. I want to underscore the fact that this is not just mere theoretical doctrine or theology. Uh, it's about a real living idea and issue that we have every day. If we're in conflict with anybody, we lack the peace that God has promised to give us. It's a remarkable uh, passage. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives us the way to peace in this, in this passage. And first of all, there's a person of peace. There's going to be a person, a process, and how to possess this peace that the world longs for. If you again look at verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, But now, this is the good news in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, speaking of Gentiles, basically, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The definition of peace, true peace, is oneness because Christ is the only one who can bring peace in the world. It's not merely the absence of hostility or the absence of conflict. It means being one together. You know, there's a difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. Have you ever thought about that? I was just uh, seeing uh, in the Congo, evidently, there's great civil uh, upheaval there. And so the UN has sent peacekeepers, and what they do is enforce the peace, kind of like the Roman Empire did with, through weapons and uh, the boot heel of the law, in a sense. And yet a peacemaker is one who goes and really makes the peace. He doesn't just keep it. He makes it. And this is what Jesus Christ did. It's not a superficial peacekeeping. It's a peacemaking. It's a oneness. It's a harmony. It's a mutual enjoyment. Anything else is temporary and superficial, and highly unsatisfactory. The origin of peace is found here. The secret of oneness is a person. He is our peace, the Apostle Paul says in verse 14. He himself, speaking of Christ, is our peace. He made both groups into one, and he's breaking things down here. British theologian C.S. Lewis talks about peace in life. Uh, C.S. Lewis, of course, very well known, and he talked about Peace and happiness in, in life. Over 70 years ago, he talked about this on his radio show. And he talked about, used the example of an automobile. Now, of course, C.S. Lewis could not foresee electric cars, even though they were probably some in existence then. But he talked about the issue that automobiles need fuel. And uh, I was thinking today, of course, there's a big push to have electric automobiles. In fact, I just read that uh, England is going to ban uh, fossil fuel cars by 2040 and hopefully to have all electric transportation by 2050. So if you're planning on moving to Great Britain, sell your car and buy a Prius or whatever they are now. But, uh, but I was thinking, it caused me to think about this, and I looked up, uh, on Google's a wonderful thing, and I looked up electric cars and what their range is. And uh, they range anywhere from you get a range of like 85 miles before you need a new charge. Uh, one of the best ones was about 350 miles before you need to recharge it. And they actually have a lot of charging stations. Uh, I think there's even one in Moses Lake. But they plan on through I-90 and down the coast I-5 that they'll have charging stations about every 40 to 50 miles. And so that uh, I wondered about that, you know, Electric car may be great, but it doesn't do you any good if you're out here by Ritzville and you're out of steam, you know, or out of electricity. But uh, they're going to fix that. Uh, but anyway, there's still a range. And even with a, 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 a fossil fuel 
vehicle, you still have a certain range where you have to stop and fuel up. And C.S. Lewis, in using that example, he said, uh, you know, now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits, and that was uh, he is designed the, for the one to be our food for our spirits, the fuel, and the, what we are to feed on. There's no other. And he goes on to write, that is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about faith in him. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such things. This is the promise of God to Christians. He is our peace, and the Apostle Paul emphasizes that. So the person of peace is Jesus. Secondly, what is this process of peace? We find that at the end of verse 14 through 16. There are three things that have to happen in the process of peace. First of all, he said he he is himself our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. In other words, the hostility between us ends. The barriers are shattered. The dividing wall, now various people have uh, thought about that. We talked about that last week. There's a, there was, at this time, when this was written, an example of it at the temple in Jerusalem where the Gentiles were kept out and the Jewish faithful could go in and there was a wall that divided it. But probably the structure here of this Greek sentence that the Apostle Paul wrote is not a physical barrier he's talking about, but a spiritual barrier between Jews and Gentiles which separated them. And Jesus was the fulfillment of the law, and there should not be hostility because Jesus Christ is the only perfect one who lived. Jesus abolished the regulations of the Mosaic law, the ceremonial and civil law, and the condemnation of the moral wall law. Both were divisive. They put a barrier between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And so there was the hostility ceased, the barriers were shattered. And the third step is reconciliation between us occurs. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, and he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having it put to death the enmity. Because Jesus Christ took our place. There's reconciliation. Notice this is what God does. This is not we do, what we do. The only ground we have to stand on before him is his forgiveness and not works, lest any man should boast. He said that earlier in chapter 2, verse 9. Everyone stands before God on the same level. And that is the wonderful news of Christmas is Jesus Christ has come and he's given us the peace and is in the process of peace. And how do we possess that? Verses 17 and 18 talk about two steps that are necessary to possess the peace that Jesus Christ offers. First of all, we must believe his message. Look at verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. There is a message of peace. Peace be with you, he told his disciples in John chapter 20, verse 19. You know, preaching is never an argument. It's never a debate or dialogue. It's simply the announcement of a fact. Biblical preaching is simply the announcement of the facts that God has said. And people can accept it or reject it, but you can't quarrel with it because this is what God has said in his word, and it is true. And that when God says it, the ground of self-righteousness is removed. When he says that, he, we recognize that before him, we're like the miners down in Chile, trapped and without hope until somebody rescues us. And he is the one who does that. And then to communicate with God, look at verse 18. 
For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Some have said this is the most fundamental, fantastic verse in the whole letter of Ephesians. It mentions all three members of the Trinity. Uh, We communicate, we have access. This word access is found only three times in the New Testament. Romans 5, Ephesians uh, 3, and Ephesians 2 here. And this teaches us four things about having access to God. You know, there's a concept from the Reformation that we are, if you're a believer in Christ, you are a priest. In other words, we don't need to go through another human being to talk to God, to have access to the Father, and that is uh, emphasized here. We have access into grace, Romans 5, 2. God's throne is the throne of grace, unmerited favor, and we have access there. And we have access unto the Father, Ephesians 2, 18. Though he is sovereign, we can still approach him as a child does his father, because Jesus Christ is the one who made that possible. We have this access through Jesus Christ, and we have access by faith, the essential ingredient of faith. You can be uh, before him, upheld by the mystery of the entire Trinity at work for his church, for his people. Jesus Christ is the person of peace. He establishes the process of peace so that we can have access, we can have this way of talking to God and being with him forever and ever. So the question is, is are we proclaiming peace? Are we peacemakers in our world, in our arena of influence, in the little place, in the little bit of history that each one of us occupies? And are we remembering that Jesus Christ lives in the believer and we are ambassadors to this community and wherever we find ourselves? And the question, of course, is do you enjoy peace in your life? If not, Why not? Perhaps it's because you don't know Jesus as your Savior. And if you do, perhaps you're not leaning on him. We are all one positionally in the body of Christ. It's hard to live without that oneness in a practical way. Uh, There's an old hymn writer, or old hymn actually, that we don't hear very often anymore. It was written by Frances Havergal. Uh, She died in 1879 at age 42, but she wrote the lines of the hymn, Like a River Glorious. She wrote these words, Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace, overall victorious in its bright increase. Perfect let it flow, yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised perfect peace and rest. Back to the Chilean miners, 69 days under the earth. And above the surface, the rescue effort continued. And people from all over the world began to help and give and pray for the men to be saved. And the media was fixed on this news part. Uh, Deep down dark is the place where you know you can't make it on your own. And deep down dark is a place where you realize you really need God. In this Christmas, as I think about uh, this Christmas, I think about uh, the music of Christmas, and some of us get a little weary of some of the music of Christmas we hear, and yet there is a Christmas story in true Christmas carols. The angels announced it, we sing it, we preach it, our lives live it. How do we keep it fresh every day? You know, it can become kind of old hat the older we get. And when I think about some of the music, I hear the chords and I hear the music as I listen to it. And that one song, Hail the Heaven-Born Prince of Peace, Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, 
born to give them second birth. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Those words were written by Charles Wesley. The hymn was originally set to a different tune when Charles Wesley wrote it. But about 100 years later, Felix Mendelssohn, the classical artist, wrote a cantata to commemorate the invention of the printing press. And then William H. Cummings took Mendelssohn's music and adapted it to Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and that's the tune we sing it to now. It came from Mendelssohn. How fitting that the music that was written to celebrate the printing press and the one, the press that really disseminated the word of God around the world, we still enjoy that. We now celebrate the birth of Jesus, the word of God, who became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. He is the Prince of Peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your...